ninth psalm says this it says but the lord sets enthroned forever as you think about trusting him this morning he has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness he judges the people with uprightness the lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble and those who know your name put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those who seek him praise god this morning he who has you will never leave you nor forsake you you can trust him you can trust him let's pray together oh father in the strong name of jesus we come to you this morning and ask god that you would come and meet with us father that you would do what only you can do father that you would reach out to a people who struggle in trusting you father i'm talking about me father there are moments of doubt there are moments of of worry there are moments of anxiety there are moments in my life when when troubles hit that i struggle to trust you and even this morning father there may be those among us who have walked in here right now and their faith is weak lord would you come and meet with us would you come and meet with us father there may be those here amongst us this morning who's not that their faith is weak they have no faith yet they have not yet turned from sin and put their hope in jesus christ i pray father today would be the day that they would see their need for the savior that the holy spirit would awaken them that they would gladly run to the cross of christ and say yes and put their trust in jesus father be with us and meet with us today in jesus name and all god's people said Amen. It is so good to be with you on this Lord's Day as we come together here on January 14th, second Sunday of the year. If you don't mind, grab your copy of God's Word. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. What a perfect song to lead into this message. Because Jesus candidly told us in John 16, that in the world you will have tribulation. Or as the NIV says it, which is how we we typically have it memorized, in this world, you will have trouble. Now we know this reality all too well, don't we? Disease, disability, division, divorce, debt, doubt, defeat, death. I mean, we could go on with some more Ds there. That's just the Ds. These are some of the difficulties we face in this world. And so indeed, in this world, we will have trouble. But praise God, we don't have just trouble. We also have some absolutely amazing moments. Amen? Right? I mean, moments to celebrate, moments of great joy and laughter and and love. And then there will be moments that are all in between. The mundane, the monotonous, the seemingly minuscule, and through every circumstance the good the bad and the in between there should be there, there there should be at least one constant and that one constant that should be there is your relationship with god the good the bad the in between your relationship with god should remain constant you see we're called to follow god and to praise god when it's easy and <laughs> we're called to follow and praise god when it's difficult Now, as you think about that this morning, Job said, 
the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away but then what blessed be the name of the Lord so a Christian who's grounded in the truth of God's word who is mature in their faith they bless the Lord in the giving and in the taking away so our relationship with God should be a constant reality no matter the circumstances that's the title of this morning's message no matter the circumstances all right and that mentality to the world makes us look like peculiar people <laughs> when you think about how the world sees us in fact that's how the King James translation famously describes us in first Peter chapter 2 verse 9 it says ye are and then a little while later a peculiar our relationship with God, our faith in God, our praising God doesn't make sense to the world, especially when it's in the midst of trouble and tribulation. To them, we look like crazy people. We look like strange people, peculiar people. And guess what? I'm okay with that, right? The world's dumb. <laughs> I'm okay with the world thinking I'm peculiar and you should be as well well today we're embarking on an expositional walk through one of the most helpful books for the christian life that's found in scripture and that's the book of first peter i'm calling this series peculiar people it's written by apostle peter yes the same peter who was a fisherman who walked and talked with jesus who saw his transfiguration his crucifixion his resurrection and his ascension the same Peter who denied Christ three times and then later on the the day of Pentecost he preached a most powerful and anointed message that saw thousands be saved in a single day yes the same Peter who would be instrumental in building the church and served Jesus until the day he was executed by Rome under Emperor Nero. In fact, this letter known as 1 Peter was likely written in the early 60s AD from Rome, not long before Nero began his reign of terror against Christians. That would claim the lives of many Christians, including Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter. And while this letter does many things... In God's grace, it was given in a very timely manner to help people through the most difficult days of their lives so that they may follow God and praise God and, and love God so that they would be hopeful and faithful no matter the circumstances, even, even, even when they seem a most peculiar people to the watching world. I wonder this morning, do you know anybody going through some sort of difficulty? Is it you? If not, could it soon be you? Then 1 Peter's especially for them and for you and for me. I want to invite you this morning to stand to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to take the first five verses this morning that we might hear a word from God. The Bible says this, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood 
may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray again together. Father, we've opened your word. Help us, God, to to see it, to understand it. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to love it, Lord, that we might live it. So come and meet with us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, today's takeaway is very simple. Very simple. Be hopeful and faithful, no matter the circumstances, because God. Be Hopeful and faithful, no matter the circumstances, because God. <laughs> now, the last part of, of, of today's takeaway, it, it might seem like an incomplete sentence, and technically, it is. It is. And it, it is an incomplete sentence in, as far as that goes. But it captures, in my mind, very straightforwardly, the only reason that you and I can be hopeful and faithful, no matter the circumstances. God, right? He's the only reason. God is the difference maker. We can be hopeful and faithful, which is to say we can be confidently optimistic, steadily obedient, because God is, because God acts, because God watches, because God provides, because God loves, because God protects. We could go on and on and on with a list of all the things that God does that can cause us to be hopeful and faithful but we can sum it up by simply saying this we can be hopeful and faithful because God period so this morning I'd like to point out to you though three specific ways from our text that God makes a difference through so that we can be hopeful and faithful no matter the circumstances the first reason is that God works out of His great mercy toward us. He works out of His great mercy toward us. Now notice there in the middle of 1 Peter 1.3 that all of these things that are being listed here, all of these things God does for us to make a difference is done, it says here, according to His great mercy. Do you see that phrase there in the middle of verse 3? That means that the cause of all of God's action for us and toward us bursts forth and grows out of His mercy. As one author wrote, we find God's mercy always at the center of any discussion of salvation. Only God's mercy would allow Him to have compassion for sinful and rebellious people. Salvation is completely from God. We can do nothing to earn it. Salvation is given to us because of God's great mercy alone. End quote. So, beloved, it's mercy or nothing. Mercy or nothing. And praise God, He has plenty of mercy. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, where Paul declares, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so all of this stems from his mercy. And if you're in Christ, you know his mercy towards you didn't just begin at the moment that you trust Christ. No, the Bible tells us that there were preceding mercies towards you. Apostle Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he alludes to this in his opening here of this letter. There in verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now notice the adjective that he uses here. He calls his audience elect, which is to say chosen, which is to say that God has fixed his love on you. And when did he do this? Well, Ephesians 1. Verse 3 and 4 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Beloved, that means that all who are in Christ and, and will be in Christ, God's mercy towards you stretches all the way back before the beginning of time. He, in his great mercy, he fixed his love on you before the foundation of the world. He foreknew you and planned the outworking of history. That you would become holy and blameless. That we would be sanctified by the Spirit. That we would be obedient to Christ and have his blood sprinkled on our lives to atone for our sins. That means, beloved, that, that God has been more merciful to you and me than we ever imagined. You see, in his sovereignty, he lovingly grabbed hold of us and he will not let go. Now, in the good times, this is just nice to know. But in the bad times, guys, we need to hear this so badly. Right? This is news that our soul longs to hear and rejoices to know, right? It, it, it's not just that God's got this situation, that he's going to work all things out in the end. No, 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 no. It's not that God's got the situation. It's also that God has me. He has a hold of me. He fixed his love on me before time even began. And in this moment of time when it feels like everything is going to hell, God has me in his almighty, all-loving, sovereign hands and will bring me safely home to him in heaven. You see, beloved, this is written to desperate people as a balm to soothe our anxious souls. And why wouldn't they be anxious? When you think about the audience that Peter's writing to here, why wouldn't they be anxious? The Bible says here that they are exiles, strangers, temporary residents, aliens. It says here in verse 1 that they're dispersed and scattered all over Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are places in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Again, Peter's writing to them from Rome. 
These are churches that he likely had a relationship in some way during the years of his ministry. And we see the word here, the dispersion, or, or maybe your translation says the diaspora. That word typically referred to Jews who were far away from Israel, living in a foreign land. But, but here Peter's not just writing to Jews. These churches that he's writing to, they were, they were filled with both Jews and Gentile, right? He, he's, he's applying the idea of being the diaspora to both Jews and Gentiles who are not at home in this world, whose citizenship is in heaven. They're away from their heavenly homeland, and the exiles and strangers and aliens are away from home. They're homesick here on earth. Their residency is in heaven, just like ours is. Beloved, you have to understand that this is the normative state of any follower of Jesus Christ. So as he or she remains in this world. Like that old gospel song said. Remember that old gospel song that said, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And to be a stranger in a foreign land, especially in exile... I mean, it produces all sorts of anxiety. If you've ever traveled outside of the United States, especially into a nation where you do not speak the language, I'm telling you, that is anxiety-inducing. And it's particularly true when the world turns against you and persecutes you. And so in that moment, it's good to know that God in His sovereign mercy, He fixed His love on you long before you ever fixed your love on Him. And that no matter the circumstances, he's going to bring you safely home. Again, what a balm to soothe the anxious souls of desperate people. I need that balm. You need that balm. One commentator explains it this way. Peter is writing a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. He reminds them that their hope is anchored in their homeland. They're called to endure alienation as strangers, but they have a heavenly citizenship and destiny, end quote. So, beloved, the full knowledge of God's mercy, it, it helps us to remain hopeful and faithful. But not only that, it also helps us to be praiseful, to be full of praise. You see, that's the only right response to God's great mercy toward us. Praise Him. That's why 1 Peter 1, 3 that's why it starts out the way it does. Blessed, he says, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless him, praise him, glorify him. Why? Because he works for us and toward us according to his great mercy. Again, another author wrote, significantly before Peter does anything else, he rises to pronounce a blessing on God. Notice he doesn't immediately write about difficult circumstances. There'll be time enough for that. Neither is he compelled to begin by telling them how to conduct themselves while living in an evil world. Evidently, there'll be enough time for that later on as well. What he does is this. He calls upon his readers to make a decided and determined prayer of praise. And that means, beloved, that, that before we ever focus on the difficulties of this life, we need to focus on the praise of our God, who is in heaven, who works according to the riches of His great mercy toward us. Guys, I'm so thankful. 
I'm so thankful that God works out of his great mercy toward us, right? Bless his name, praise his name. And because of his great mercy, I can be hopeful and faithful. You can be hopeful and faithful. We can be confidently optimistic and steadily obedient no matter the circumstances. Second this morning, we can be hopeful and faithful no matter the circumstances because God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, we all have 99 problems, right? But your greatest problem is the fact that you were born dead in your trespasses and sins. <laughs> I don't care how you try to solve that. I don't, I don't care how you brainstorm that and try to work that. Your greatest problem, my greatest problem is that I was born dead in my trespasses and sins. Now, not physically dead. I, I was born physically alive. But spiritually dead. And our only hope is to be born again from God. That, that's what Jesus told a man named Nicodemus. In John 3, 3, Jesus told him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Jesus reiterated it later in the conversation in verse 7. John 3, verse 7, he said, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but whatever Jesus says is true, Right? Whatever Jesus says is true. We must be born again. Because our first birth is a spiritual stillbirth. We are delivered into this world spiritually dead. But look at what God did here. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. He, that's God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, this reality has God's mercy all over it. This isn't something we've earned. It's something that we were mercied, if that's a word. right? We were mercied this. God caused this. And it's interesting here that it takes seven words in English has caused us to be born again. What takes only one word in the Greek? Anagenesis. Just one word in Greek captures all seven of those words. That means that God rebirthed us. He regenerated us. He caused us to be born again. Well, how did he do it? Verse 3 tells us, tons in verse 3, right? He tells us that God did it through the, res uh, through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you probably know the facts of Jesus' resurrection. He, being God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He, the Bible tells us, being born a baby, placed in that manger in Bethlehem, he grew to be the adult who lived the life that we cannot live. He was sinless. He never sinned. And he died the death that we deserve on that cross at Calvary. And it was placed in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Stone cold.
cold, dead. But three days later, the Bible tells us, praise God, he rose again from the dead. He was resurrected, bodily resurrected, not spiritually. He really rose from the dead, really dead, now really alive. And his bodily resurrection is certainly the guarantee of our future bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 makes that abundantly clear. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The, listen to this language here. The first fruits of those who fall asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead... For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Every person who is in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That, that language there, firstfruits, is like a deposit. It's, it's like when you go to buy your home and you put down that deposit to hold it for you. That's what this is. That's what the first fruits are. It holds our future bodily resurrection. But here in our text in 1 Peter chapter 1, right, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Peter says something more. He's saying that long before we'll ever experience bodily resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection, he says we will experience spiritual resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection. So y'all, that means that Jesus' resurrection, it not only makes a way for us to be bodily resurrected, but also spiritually regenerated, spiritually reborn. And here's the good news. God calls us and causes us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice this phrase there in verse 3 again. To a living hope. Do you see that in the text? To a living hope now here's the interesting thing Christianity is not the only religion that believes in rebirth it's not I mean that, that's not that's not um, you know just us it's not exclusive to us you see so do the Hindus the Hindus believe in rebirth they call their rebirth reincarnation they believe that they live their life and then die only to be reborn again into another form or another social status. And they believe if they lived a good life, then they'll be reborn into a higher status. And if they lived a bad life, then they'll be reborn into a lower status. That, that, that's what's called the law of karma. Good brings good to you and bad brings bad to you, they believe. And so for the Hindu, they, they just see life as a tiring cycle of being born, striving to be better, suffering, dying, and being reborn again. Hopefully in a higher status, climbing the ladder of spirituality until they reach the final pinnacle in their thoughts. And you know what the, the highest end in their thought is? Not to go to heaven to be with God. Their highest thought is to finally get to cease to exist. That's what they believe, man. Their highest goal is to be no more, that their life force is just subsumed by their false ultimate God. Man, what a depressing worldview. Think about that for a moment. No wonder they hope that one day they don't exist anymore. 
over and over again, they're born to know hope whatsoever. It's only what they can do. And in the end, what do they get in return? Nothing. Literally, nothing. Utterly hopeless. It's a dead hope that they're reborn to. But to the Christian, we are born again spiritually to a living hope. You know, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is right there when the ladies find the empty tomb on that first Easter morning. And they're looking around and their mind's blown. Where's the body of Jesus? I can't find the dead body of Jesus. And all of a sudden, angels, two angels, the Bible says, stand there next to them in Luke 24, verse 5 and 6, and they ask this question. I love this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. So, beloved, that means we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship a living Savior. And because He is a living Savior, you and I, we have a living hope. How long will our hope live? As long as Jesus does, which is forever. Forever. We have a forever living hope. We have a forever living hope that our sins are forever washed away. A forever living hope that we've been reconciled and adopted by the Father. A forever living hope that death and the devil will not have victory over us. So praise God, right, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And because of being born again to a living hope, I can be hopeful, I can be confidently optimistic, steadily obedient, no matter the circumstances. And then finally, third and finally this morning, we can be hopeful and faithful no matter the circumstances because God guards the fullness of our inheritance. God guards the fullness of our inheritance. Right here in the beginning of 1 Peter 1 verse 4, we see an encouraging piece of info. We have been caused to be born again to an inheritance. Do you see that phrase? Now, I've recounted for you in the past what my inheritance will probably be. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to bore you with the details. Actually, I, I could tell you real quick, it ain't going to be much, all right, on this earth. And there are probably a lot of you in this room that your inheritance physically, financially, materially is going to be little to nothing. But this is good news, right? You're, you're going to get an inheritance, right? Part of the living hope that you have in Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ is an inheritance. You see, the Bible tells us that Christ has given everything. He gets the full inheritance. But through Christ, we share, the Bible says, in that inheritance. Everything Christ gets, we get. Eternal life, eternal blessing, uh, the combined heaven and earth. Even the entirety of the universe, it's all ours along with Christ. And Peter tries to describe the greatness of this inheritance here, and he kind of takes an interesting approach. Look again at verse 4. He says that this inheritance is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading <laughs> instead of telling us uh, what the inheritance is he tells us what it's not that's an interesting approach you know imperishable means that it'll never go bad it'll never be destroyed it'll never end undefiled means it will never be polluted or, or ruined unfading that means that it'll never be subject to loss and if there's one thing that we know right now, it's a fading inheritance, especially in this inflationary economy, right? I mean, don't get me started. As inflation goes up, the value of our money goes down. It fades. It takes more money to buy less. That's fading finances. But we just don't know that. We don't know that just in the financial world, right? In the financial realm, we we also experience the fading from a bodily experience as well, right? I mean, to our great dismay, the human body fades. I saw a picture of Michael Jordan the other day in a basketball uniform, as a practice uniform. And I promise you, at whatever age he is, he doesn't look like what he looked like when he was in Chicago. He can't do what he used to do, and neither can I. I could never do what he could do, but I, I especially can't do it now. I can't run as fast as I used to. I can't see as good as I used to. My skin is, is not as tight as it used to be. I mean, Christy keeps saying, Honey, please, just let me put a mask on you. It's going to help you out. Right? <laughs> you got crow's feet. Laugh lines. You know, I mean, I don't know if you husbands have that issue. If next week I come back and I'm all plump, you know what happened, all right? <laughs> My hair is not as full as it used to be, which my kids, for some reason, love to remind me of that. And as the staff here well knows, my, my memory isn't as sharp as it used to be. I mean, sometimes we'll sit around in our team meeting on Sunday morning, and I just have to, or on, 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 see, on Monday morning, and I just have to hit my head sometimes, like, come on, brain work. Remember that person's name. Remember, I mean, it just, it's, it's amazing sometimes how the gears of our brain, they kind of get stuck. And sadly, it's only going to get worse. Every single year for the human being is an experience of fading. But my inheritance with God, listen to me, will never fade. It'll never be defiled. It'll never perish. How? Well, look at the Bible, verse 4 and 5, that our inheritance, it tells us here, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading because it is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That means that God Almighty guards it. And y'all, that's better than security that they have at Fort Knox. Right? Thieves can't break in. Thieves can't steal. And here's the amazing thing. I want you to, to think about this. Going back to God's sovereign mercy laying hold of us. As one author writes, not only is our inheritance kept for us, we are kept for our inheritance. It would be small comfort, he goes on, to, to know that nothing could destroy our heavenly inheritance if we could lose it at last. The wonder of our hope is that the same power of God that keeps our inheritance also keeps us. 
We're shielded until the great day when our salvation will be revealed, end quote. So, beloved, I'm, I'm so thankful that God doesn't just guard our inheritance and say, hey, it'll be here if you can make it here. No, He guards me as well. He keeps me so that it's not only that the inheritance will surely be there, I will surely receive it. Just as God promised in Jude 24 and 25, that verse that you probably have memorized. And if you don't, you should have it memorized. Now to Him, that's God, who is able, listen, to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. <laughs> Beloved, the power is in God. It's not in us. Can you imagine if the power was in you? And how many churches this very Sunday morning are preaching and teaching that the power is in you, that you must keep yourself it's dependent upon you. If you can make it, the inheritance is yours. But glory instead and majesty and dominion and authority be to God who guards the fullness of our inheritance, not just the inheritance, but me. And because He does that, we can be hopeful and faithful. We can be confidently optimistic and steadily obedient no matter the circumstances beloved in this world we will have tribulation we will have trouble but because God period we can be hopeful and faithful no matter the circumstances Here's my final prayer this morning. May the reality of God being active in your life, no matter the circumstances, change your life.